We are in, in the midst of a different kind of series. I have preached through Hebrews for most of this year, and the Lord has led us to set aside Hebrews after the second major division and focus in on seven essentials for revival. And we're looking at these seven essentials from the book of Acts. So in some ways it's topical as we look at the first six chapters of Acts and kind of mine out of Acts what are seven things that, that are always involved in revival and spiritual awakening when God moves in a mighty way. Last week we looked at kingdom-focused prayer. That a church, when God moves to bring revival to a church, to a, to a person, to a nation, he always, it's always characterized by people who humble themselves and seek him, not for their own needs, but for his kingdom purposes. Second essential that we wanna, I want to look at this week is the supernatural power of God. You will never find true revival or true spiritual awakening that can be ginned up or worked up by human effort. If we can do it, it's not revival. It's only through the power of God, that mighty, incredible movement of God, that we will truly see revival that is deep-seated, widespread, and long-lasting. And, and God is still in the business of doing supernatural things. I just just the, the testimony I shared with you earlier, and I apologize again for, for my slip-up, but the testimony I shared is just a reminder that God cares, God speaks, and God is at work in ways that cannot be explained in human ways. I, 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 had, a, uh, I had a professor at Howard Payne that said, if you never get to see God do something that can't be explained in human terms, then you're not walking in a relationship with the living God. We serve a God who wants to show himself and do things in our lives, in our communities that you can't explain. That think, you know, you can say, well, that just kind of fell into place. How did those 42 coincidences work themselves out? Well, they don't just work themselves out. We serve a God who cares and moves. One of these days, I can't wait. I, I, I'm hearing little snippets of this story. Some of you have prayed for and are following the bird story. I've heard little snippets of it. I can't wait until one of these days the Lord gives him opportunity to share his story because God is, is putting things together. He asks us to pray for something. We pray for it, and God does it in, in, in ways that are incredible. I can't wait to hear some of that story because that's the business that God's in. And when, when we see... A movement of God, a, a sweeping revival from God, it's always attended by supernatural events, things that can't be explained in human terms. I'm, there's two in, in this section of Acts, and I'm gonna, we're going to focus in on one of them first, and I'm going to work through it quickly because you've already heard my major illustration this week. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 uh, is going to be our, our, our grounding passage. Now, this is a different time in the church because this was the beginning of the church. This is how the Lord launched his church by sending his Holy Spirit to empower the church. He had told Peter and James and John in particular, and, and all the disciples as were gathered together after, uh, after Judas left in John chapter 14, John chapter 16, you know, I'm about to die, but don't be discouraged because I'm going to send my spirit to, he'll be with you and he'll be in you. He'll empower you. He described him as a comforter. He described him as one who would convict and convince of sin. But I'm going to send my spirit to be with you. And then in Acts chapter 1, we looked at some of that last week, where they were praying and Jesus said, stay here until the spirit comes. And so they stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't even know what all it meant. And so one day they're, they're praying. Well, that's the first characteristic of revival. They're together praying. 
And chapter 2, verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together. I mean, this was loud enough. It wasn't just the people in the room that heard it. People from all around heard the sound, and they came to see what the sound was all about. When the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each heard them speaking in his own language. They were astonished and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phygia and, and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Christians and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. And I want to give you a little bonus. Verse 14 says, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed. There's a reason I went ahead and read that. I want you to, to notice something. This truly was a supernatural movement of God. It, it, nobody else could repeat this. Uh, it's never happened before, and it's never happened since. Let me give you a little indicator here. I think there's some in our world, and in, in certain segments of Christian life, that they'll look at the book of Acts and they'll see what happened in Pentecost and say, God, do it again. And they're always looking for God to do the same thing. You know what I found? God usually doesn't do it the same way. God usually doesn't do the same thing the same way. When he moves in a miraculous way, God does new things. And he does different things. And so the next time people see something mighty that God does, you have the same reaction. Some people respond positively and some sneer at it and don't believe it. And, and yet God is continually at work to do new things among his people. Now, new things that he does are always in a line with his word, okay? I, if, if somebody comes to me and say, well, I believe God told me so-and-so, I'll say, well, that doesn't line up with his word. And if it doesn't line up with his word, then it's not of God, okay? Amen. All right? So his word is our standard. But God still works in, in new ways. He, di- he still does miracles that are different than what he did 2,000 years ago. God is a, is a supernatural God who is always at work among his people to accomplish his purposes. I want to give you uh, six characteristics of the supernatural, miraculous acts of God. First characteristic is this. They are empowered by the Holy Spirit. God, through his Spirit, does things on this earth that are miraculous. You see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament. You see Ezekiel, when he, God takes him out in a vision, and, and some would declare this was a vision, some would say, well, it's a vision because it really happened and Ezekiel saw it. However you read the story, God takes Ezekiel out in a valley where there had been a great slaughter and there were dry bones all across the valley. And people had died, and their bones were bleached because they were dry and dead. And God asked Ezekiel, he said, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, I don't know, only you know if they can live or not. And God, the, the word that the, the scripture says, God breathed. And the word, that the ruach, that Hebrew word, is the same word that's used for his spirit. His spirit moved across those bones and they stood up. 
And then God put flesh and sinew on those bones and a mighty army. He rose up a mighty army through the power and the work of his Holy Spirit. God has worked through his Holy Spirit in history and he's working through his Holy Spirit in in Scripture and he works through his Holy Spirit today to accomplish his purposes. He has sent his Spirit to empower the church. And when I say the church, I don't mean just the church collective. I mean you and me. That's why Jesus said, I'll be with you and I'll be in you through the power and presence of his Spirit God can work in our lives. He can speak and he can lead and he can guide us and he can accomplish things that cannot be explained in human terms. Why is it important that I say that it is empowered by the Holy Spirit? Because it doesn't become a resident power in any human being. I believe that it's even clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when when Paul gives us a list of miraculous gifts. And in those list of miraculous gifts, if you'll remember that list, they're gifts of healing, gifts of miracles, gifts of special discernment. Uh, in that list of gifts, he, he first gives us a clue about how those take place. He says that they are gifts that are of the Holy Spirit. They are resident in the Holy Spirit. Let, let me just simply put it this way. Scripture does not say, I don't believe anywhere in the New Testament where the scripture says God makes some of us healers and some of us musicians. And I think that that some Christians over the years have gotten that wrong and they go around and say, well, I'm a healer. God's given me the gift of healing. And I say, well, come with me to the hospital. Kenny's got a knee surgery. Let's get him up on his legs. Oh, no, 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 that's not the gift God's given me. Come on. If God's given you the gift, you have the power, you have the authority, you can use it how you wish, go use it. But that's not the truth. Scripture says that that those gifts of power and authority are simply, uh, they're they're the Holy Spirit chooses to work through his vessels to accomplish what he desires to accomplish. So when you see gifts of miracle or healing or, or special discernment, it's not something that's resident in the believer that I have control over. It's the me allowing the Holy Spirit to simply use me as a vessel to accomplish his purpose. So he gets the glory. And if anybody ever takes glory for being a part of some miraculous work, that's not of God. The glory belongs to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're simply a conduit. And here you see the Holy Spirit pour out his glory. Now, we're going to look at another verse here in a second because in 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 Acts chapter 3 at the very beginning, the Holy Spirit works through particular people. Here he just came. In Acts chapter 3, he worked through Peter and John to heal somebody. But he worked through Peter and John. It was the Holy Spirit who healed, not Peter. And we got to keep that straight. Because if we miss that, we start taking glory and honor for ourselves that only belongs to the Spirit of the living God. Second, these miracles always create a sense of awe. They truly are things that can't be explained in human terms. And and I've had multitudes of things in my ministry that I've seen happen in churches, that I've seen happen in in my own personal life, that that people might try to explain away as as some type of coincidence, but I bet I could write down, if if you gave me an hour, I could write down a hundred of them. And and if if I had taken time to to write them down regularly, there would be in the thousands, just in my personal walk with the Lord and in my work with churches. Because God is in the business, when we are obedient to trust him and walk with him, he is in the business of doing things that you go, wow, that had to be God. And he gets the glory for it. They create a sense of awe. Third, they honor him. 
They don't bring honor to the conduit. They bring honor to the king. And that's what happened here. Notice what they referred to these things as. They said that they were speaking about the majestic acts of God. Peter's going to stand up and he's going to talk about Moses and David and he's going to talk about things that happened in the Old Testament. But they don't say that he was talking about the majestic acts of Moses. They were speaking of the majestic acts of God. Because when God moves in a mighty way, it honors God. We don't get credit for it. Fourth, they're often misunderstood by some. They're misunderstood by those who don't believe. They're misunderstood by those who don't want to believe. Uh, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, this is one of my favorite little trinkets. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He'd been in the grave four days. His sister said, you sure you want to roll that stone back? He's going to be stinking by now. Jesus said, roll the stone back. Jesus called out. He prayed a prayer. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus walks out with the grave clothes on. You know, I always want to be Lazarus. I wonder what he's thinking. He was, his spirit was with the Lord in heaven. You called me back? To this, and he's gonna have to die again? You know, that's that's between Lazarus and the Lord. But Lazarus walks out of that grave, and, and people immediately they begin to worship, they begin to give glory to God. It said scripture says a lot of people believed in Jesus that day. But some ran back to the Pharisees and said, Now he's raising dead people. We gotta kill him. The logic of that. He just raised somebody that had been dead for four days, but their heart was so set against the purposes of God, and they were so self-centered and so focused in on their own purpose and their own desires, they missed the miracles of God. We live in a, a culture right now that is regularly, daily missing the miracle of God, the work of God. We're so caught up in our, our humanism and, and our, our uh, scientists. Uh, scientific mindset that we miss the miracles of God. I've got a friend who kind of reconnected with on Facebook and he started posting things lately. He posted something a couple days ago some of y'all saw. He talked about the number of photoreceptors in the human eyeball and how through all of those photoreceptors working together we can see how did that happen by accident. But some people believe it did because that's what they want to believe. He gave an example, I believe it was last night or early this morning, about blood. There is absolutely no piece of evidence anywhere that blood has evolved. And yet blood is essential for life. God created. And those who have a heart of faith that want to see God will see the miracles of God all around them every single day. But those that don't want to believe, they'll be like these guys who sneered. They heard, they, you would think, they just heard all of these people Peter up there talking, and, and people hear it in 20 different languages in their own ears. And they sneer at they go, somebody's drunk around here. They must, uh, what, how in the world do you get to that place? Your heart is hard and it's turned again. That's how the Pharisees, because they didn't see what they wanted to see, they missed the Son of God when he stepped on this earth. If you won't open your heart in faith to see God, you'll miss him. Fifth. It always emboldens believers. You know, you see this a lot in, in, in Acts. God moves in a mighty way, and the believers are emboldened to proclaim the gospel. We talked about that last week out of Acts chapter 4. Think of Peter. Where's one of the last places that we saw Peter? Just 50 days earlier, less than two months before this date, 
Peter was denying that he even knew Jesus to a servant girl. In fact, Scripture indicates that the third denial, Peter even said it harshly like an old sailor's curse word. Peter adamantly denied even knowing Christ. And yet on this day, the Holy Spirit is poured out and Peter stands up. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and proclaimed. And when you read Peter's prayer, there's no question that he's not shrinking back now. Well, what's the difference between the Peter of this day and the Peter of 50 days before? Well, there's a couple things. Jesus restored him, encouraged him, but the greatest difference is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit who empowered him. When we are empowered by the Spirit of the living God, we will stand and proclaim his name boldly, and we won't be afraid. And sixth, it always, the miraculous work of God's Spirit always expands the kingdom of God. When he moves, it's not for your comfort or my comfort. It's for his kingdom. God is a whole lot more concerned about those who are lost and don't know him than he is about you or me being comfortable. I read a story just this week of a lady who was from uh, the Far East who had moved to the, the States and had become so disillusioned with Christianity here in America. She said it was destroying her faith because we were so comfortable that she moved back to a nation of persecution because she said she knew there that her faith was alive. We get so focused on our comfort and our safety and things that make us feel good or things that, that give us glory or honor that our faith fails. Christianity is, is more alive in nations all over this world where on a day like today, somebody could walk into it. In fact, there's a lot of places where they wouldn't even be able to gather in a building. Their building's already been burned down, so they're gathering under a tree under threat of martyrdom. And Christianity is more alive in those places than it is where we can come into an air-conditioned room and sit in comfort and worship a holy God. When God sends revival, it's not about our comfort. It's about his, his kingdom and his glory. When his spirit moves, it's not to... It's not a miracle so that we can build another mansion. It's a miracle so that the lost see Jesus. I want to give you an addendum. And I know that my time is short. Acts chapter 3, if you want to look, you can skip over. We won't have it on the screen. The next big miracle that we see. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those who, entered the who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. He turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said to them, I do not have silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then... 
Taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, and he started to walk, and he entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people were utterly astonished, ran toward them. And Peter saw this happening, and Peter stand up and began to proclaim the word of God again. And we'll see at the end of this story where more were added to the kingdom of God. I wanted to get to this because I want to give you three things that are important for us to be conduits of a miraculous God. There's a difference in the exercise of spiritual gifts and the miraculous gifts and the personal gifts that God gives us. Between 1 Corinthians chapter 12, miraculous gifts, and Romans chapter 12, gifts of administration and teaching and and prophecy and those kind of things. Romans chapter 12, Scripture says that, that they are dependent upon our faith. As we grow in our faith, we become better administrators for God. If you have the gift of teaching, as you grow in your faith and your relationship with God, you become a better teacher for God. If you're a prophet, one who proclaims the truth, and as you grow in your faith, you become a better prophet. You become a better encourager. There are seven gifts listed there. But those in 1 Corinthians are different. They are called, they are referred to in the Greek with a term that's translated manifestations of the Spirit. And, and miracles and healing and, and special discernment, those are listed as manifestations of the Spirit. And let me explain it to you real quick because this is key and this is important. You, you don't become a better healer by getting more faith and growing in your relationship with God because you're never a healer in the first place. The Spirit of the living God's a healer, okay? You become a better healer, more useful to God. In fact, you never become a better healer. Let me just say that. You don't. Only the Spirit can heal somebody. But He can use whoever is available. A a, a new believer who's been a believer one day. A believer who's been a believer 30 days. A year, 30 years. It doesn't matter because it's not dependent upon your power and your faith. It's dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit choosing to use you to accomplish His purpose. Okay? And so you'll see people that, that, that they, they get this word from God and they have this special discernment. It didn't come because they were discerning people. It came because God, through his power, did something special. I have seen a couple instances where God called me to pray, lay hands on someone, and they were miraculously healed. But I'm not going to claim that I'm a healer. God spoke. He told me to do something specific. I did something specific. God healed them. I couldn't explain it any other way. It's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit through his conduit. But his conduit has to have a couple things going on. First of all, his conduit has to be walking in obedience. You don't have to be a Christian one year, one day, or 50 years. You have to be obedient. Okay? You have to be a believer first. Then you have to be obedient. Peter and John were obedient. They, at this point, they were just walking with the Lord, doing what the Lord called them to do. They come up on a situation. They didn't plan it. They didn't go out to heal somebody. In fact, they were going to pray. They were going to the temple. They come up on this guy. The guy looks up at him, asks him for something, and, and God moves. He says, we don't have anything, but we'll offer you Jesus. <laughs> and the Spirit healed the guy. He stood up immediately. Obedience. If you're going to be used of God... To accomplish great things. If he's going to do miraculous things in your life and through your life, you have to be obedient. Second, it always seems to be connected by God connecting prayer. 
They were going up to the temple to do what? To pray. Why? Because it was time to pray. <laughs> Peter and John were walking in relationship with the Lord. It was time for them to get alone, to get up there and pray. They were going to the temple to pray. And, and you see this time and again. That In fact, you, you hear Jesus scold the disciples when somebody is brought to him. And, and they said, well, your disciples couldn't cast this demon out of my son. And they, they said, well, why, you know, why not? And Jesus said, this only comes through intense fasting and prayer. It's only through them walking in a relationship of prayer that the Holy Spirit can use them as a conduit to accomplish his purposes. So if you want to see a great movement of God move through, you've got to walk in obedience and you've got to walk in prayer. And then third, you come with expectation. With an, with, you expect to see God do something. And you see that on both ends of this equation. The guy looked up at, first Peter and John expected to see God do a miracle. And then the guy looks up at them with expectation expecting to receive something from them. Now, they didn't know what they are going to receive, but they are expecting to receive something from Peter and John. And that heart of expectation opens our hearts so that God can use us to accomplish his purposes. And by expectation, in a lot of ways, it's just intricately tied to faith. You've got to believe. You've got to believe that God is who he says he is and that God can do what he says he's going to do. And you trust him. And so you're walking in obedience, you're, you're connected with him in prayer, and you're expecting to see something great. We will not see a supernatural movement of God that brings revival to our nation, to our church, to our families, and to our own homes unless we come expectantly, expecting to see God move. But if we come with broken, humble hearts in prayer, walking in obedience to him, expecting to see him move, then we open the door for him to move. Now, you can't make God do anything. God's not a cosmic candy machine. You can't say the right thing drop the, like you're dropping the quarters in the machine, pushing the buttons, and something pops out because he's a holy God. But we can put ourselves in a position for God to use us. And I believe that we're in a time when God desires to move in our church and in our nation. We desperately need a movement of God. Revival, one of the essentials for revival is God moves. One of the difficult things about that is there is very little that you, can I, you and I can do about it. It's got to be him. It's got to be him. We can walk in obedience. We can spend time in prayer. We can come with expectation. And God will move when he chooses to move because he's God. You can't make it happen. What I'm asking from you today is that you come with me, walk with me on this journey as your pastor, and we'll watch God do some things that we could not imagine. And you know, we're not that far from it. 18 months ago, we stood up here on the stage and we looked at each other and said, there's no way that we can pay for that remodel. We're going to have to come up with some other plan. It, it's going to take 18 months, two years to raise that kind of money. And we just said, all we know to do is trust God and God moved. We're not that far from it. God is at work pouring out miracles upon his people regularly. Are you willing to join me as we seek him and walk in obedience? So as a, as a point of response, let me, let me ask you to do a couple things. First of all, if you know God's called you to something and you have not been obedient, would you come and lay it on the altar as Matthew comes to lead us here in just a few moments? That begins with your eternity. If you know that you have never put your faith in Christ for your eternal life, 
you don't even have a relationship with the living God, that's where you have to start. Would you please get that settled today? Join us on this journey. Walk with the Lord and see what he will do in your life and in your family's life if you'll just trust him with your whole heart. Some of you have been disobedient to the Lord, and you know it. Maybe you've been disobedient with besetting sin. You've got a habit that you have not been able to break. You need to come lay that down before the Lord. Maybe you've been disobedient in your giving or in your tithing. Maybe God's called you to do something specific, and you, you're supposed to go somewhere, talk to somebody, do something, and you've said no. Would you please, for the sake of, of, of his church, his kingdom, and for your own spiritual health, say yes to God today. I'm going to quit saying no, Lord. I want to be obedient to follow you. And some of you, we talked about last week, have just not been obedient in your prayer life. One of the things that we saw last week is that the, the, the kind of prayer that, that God's looking for in us is, is, is a heart, someone whose life can be defined by prayer. Is your, is your life defined by prayer? And then finally, maybe God's called you to join our church family in this, in this walk. And if he's called you to do that and you know that he's calling you to, to come and talk to me or Kevin about that, to find out what you need to do or to make it public, maybe we've already talked about it. Would you be obedient today to respond to the Lord as he calls? Would you just stand with me? Matthew's going to come lead us in a, in a hymn of response. And as soon as he begins to play and as soon as they begin to sing, I'm going to encourage you to step out. If you need to come to the altar to pray, come pray. If you need to come pray with Kevin or I or there's something you need to talk to us about, come immediately as the musicians begin.